Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. The police in in, uh, Cobb County, Georgia, I used to live in Cobb County, Georgia. So we lived in Marietta for five or six years, and we lived in Roswell for five or six years. And... uh, You know, it was the nice suburban Atlanta, suburban experience, but it was also Newt Gingrich's district, and it was kind of, you know, redneck central. And apparently, one of the uh, police officers there, I, you know, uh, 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 we'll we'll give this guy, cut him a little slack and assume that he meant a joke, but it's it's the kind of joke that really uh, demonstrates white privilege, if nothing else. White cop. Oh, we don't have we don't have the video yet. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this one then in a little bit. Let me let me start out here with something else. Down in Texas, the hurricane is ongoing, and a little surprise if you're listening to us right now in Texas and you're thinking that you need to file an insurance claim for the damage to your home. Assuming that your insurance covers this, most people down there do not have flood insurance. Typically, flood insurance is something that people who live by rivers or oceans get. Um, And a lot of these people who are wiped out in Texas right now are living in areas that have not flooded before or haven't flooded. I mean, this is a 500-year flood. So, which means that in any given year, the odds are one in 500 that it'll happen. But, you know, it's the third 500-year flood in the last three years. That should tell you something. Global warming is changing the nature of our storms. There's more water in the atmosphere. And when it comes out, it comes out faster. That makes winds more fierce, and it makes rains more destructive. But back to Texas and insurance. If you're thinking of filing an insurance claim in Texas... You should do it today because the good Republicans in the fine state of Texas uh, reacting to contributions made to them by the insurance industry, no doubt, passed last year House Bill 1774. House Bill 1774 in Texas says that if your insurance company screws you, refuses to pay, 
or in some other way behaves in a way that's not in keeping with all the money you've given them and all the, you know, the contracts you've signed. If your insurance company screws you and you sue them. Now, most people don't even have the means to sue their insurance company, particularly, I mean, keep in mind, if you're going to be suing an insurance company after a disaster like this, in all probability, you've been wiped out. So you, you don't, you don't, what lawyer is going to take your case, right? So what they've done to stop frivolous lawsuits, right? This is always the BS that the insurance industry puts out there. Whether it's tort reform or whether it's this kind of monstrous stuff. Is that uh, if you file your claim tomorrow, September 1st, when this new law comes into effect, you will not be able to recover lawyer's fees. In other words, you, you won't be able to hire a lawyer who will work on your behalf on a contingency basis, number one. And number two, if you win and the insurance company has to pay you, typically they have to pay interest on the money that they should have paid you way back, you know, a year ago when you first sued them. And the law provided for an 18% annual increase in that era, in, you know, an annual in, in, in interest rate. So the insurance company has to look at this and go, oh, geez, 18% interest, that's not real good. Uh, you know, we, we might as well just settle. Well, this law is going to drop that down to 10%. So, you know, the Republicans of Texas are looking out for their citizens. Actually, they're not. They're looking out for the insurance, company that, uh, insurance companies that fund their political campaigns. They are screwing the citizens of Texas. Somehow this is not a story that's going to make it into the national news in all probability, because, you know, it's the, it's the Republicans. I got an interesting uh, note yesterday from a, a fellow author, Gerald Hughes. He's uh, written books on uh, ADD and things like that. He's an NLP guy. And he said, he, he said, we know from history that subsequent to Katrina, now Katrina was in 2005. Uh, this is the the storm that it's, it's, I mean, it's absolutely hysterical. All these uh, right-wingers who are, you know, posting things on Twitter, complaining about how President Obama didn't do a good job during Katrina. Uh, Obama was in the Senate. George Bush was president during Katrina. But anyhow, he says, we know from history that subsequent to Katrina, prices for lumber, copper, steel, and concrete all increased nationwide. Now, this would have been because there'd been so much destruction as a consequence of Katrina. People were rebuilding and we were actually sucking up, you know, in one region, in the New Orleans region, they were sucking up resources from the entire country. Labor prices also increased and contractors were charging a premium for their services during this time. And as the appraised value of homes is indirectly correlated to construction costs, the temporary bubble of higher construction costs caused by Katrina naturally resulted in temporary bubble, in a temporary bubble of higher appraisals of single-family homes and, and other real estate pro properties. In other words, he's suggesting, in short form, that Katrina was one of the critical factors in tipping us into a recession in 2007-2008. Now, I, I read that yesterday afternoon when Gerald sent me that note. He's with the Neuro Linguistic uh, Learning Center. And, and I thought, whoa, this is, this is interesting. And then this morning, I woke up and I was reading the Financial Times. And here, this, this, the headline is Harvey 
floods prompt alert on risk of mortgage bond defaults. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And here, this is Joe Renison in New York writing for the Financial Times. Tropical Storm Harvey has put up to $30 billion of securitized commercial mortgages on the watch list of analysts and investors as damage to the disasters heightened the risk of defaults. Now, they're looking at 1,500 properties that represent $19 billion that could go belly up. Uh, data company TREP cast a wider geographical net and put the universe of affected loans at closer to $30 billion across 2,200 properties. Now, these, these companies that are looking at these, uh, at these commercial mortgages are only looking at commercial mortgages, right? They're, they're looking at business properties. And we're looking at $30 billion worth of business properties that may be at risk or probably are at risk for default. I mean, these companies are going to be wiped out for months, maybe years. And I don't know what happened after Katrina with those properties. I don't know how many of the properties in New Orleans that were wiped out were, you know, leveraged, had, had mortgages on them. And I've never seen an article that, that clearly ties Katrina to the crash in 2008. But if you were to create that high, if you were to establish that connection, it would probably be via one of these two routes, either this one that Gerald proposed, which is that, you know, uh, labor and, and housing materials go up as a consequence of a major massive disaster like this, or that people's homes being destroyed, particularly now that the Texas insurance companies, the insurance companies in Texas can screw you real easily. And if you try to sue them, you're not going to be able to find a lawyer who'll take the case. And even if you do, you know, the insurance companies are only going to have to pay 10% interest on the money that they withhold from you year after year after year. It might be cheaper for them just to keep on stalling you, right? So that's, that's what's going on in Houston and with regard to the flood. One other thing to add to this, Mexico. Now, Donald, Donald Trump hasn't said a word about this, and he won't. Right. I mean, his his whole candidacy was based on on basically hating people of color. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Uh, Muslim. It's really, you know, it's it's a, a. A word symbolizing people of color in Trump's vocabulary, Mexicans, a word symbolizing people of color. Democrats increasingly in his mind, a word symbolizing people of color and their friends and allies. So when, Tex, when uh, Mexico said, hey, Texas, we're right next door. We got lots of boats. We got lots of food. We got lots of people who would like to help. We can guarantee that they are not rapists or murderers. <laughs> oh, geez, I can't even believe them. And uh, Tex, Texas said finally yesterday, thank you. We'll take it. And then Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, right? The, 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 the guy who, who ran ExxonMobil all those years that they were lying to us about climate change and got fabulously rich, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, from his efforts. Rex Tillerson says, it's very generous of the government of Mexico to offer their help at this very, very challenging time for our citizens down in Texas and now moving toward the border of Louisiana as well. Really? Excuse me. 
This is, uh, it's not yet known when Mexico will provide the aid, but its government has suggested a similar mission that it sent to New Orleans after Katrina in 2005. 200 Mexican troops brought food, water, and medicine. A separate convoy of 33 English-speaking Mexican Red Cross volunteers left for Texas uh, yesterday morning to work in Houston shelters. And so I, I think this is, this is fascinating. It's like, you know, natural disasters bring out the best in people and the worst in people. But we had a libertarian yesterday defending price gouging as, oh, well, yeah, of course, that's the free market at work. No, it's not. And, and at the same time, you've got Mexico, which is very upset with us. You know, read Vincente Fox, the former president of Mexico. Read his Twitter feed. It is hysterical. He is so trolling Trump. But when people are hurting, they're there to help. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more ear, ear calls, the news of the day, and, and my thoughts on all of the above right now. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Some other interesting news of the day. This is from uh, Nature News. Uh, nature, the, nature and science are like considered two of the most prestigious peer-reviewed science journals in the world. And uh, this is from Nature, Jeff, Jeff Tollefson and Amy, Amy Maxman writing. Multiple researchers who received grants from the U.S. Department of Energy say they have been asked to remove references to climate change and global warming from the descriptions of their projects, they say. This was uh, Ashley Gilbert of the Environmental Molecular Sciences Laboratory. Uh, proposed funding, federal funding, for a project that would examine how environmental stressors such as climate change affect the ecology of saltwater marshes specialty. And she wrote, quote, I have been asked to contact you to update, oh, excuse me, they wrote to her. They said, I have been asked to contact you to update the wording of your proposal abstract to remove words such as global warming or climate change. This is amazing. Another, another uh, person from that group, ecologist Scott Seleska of the University of Tucson and, uh, uh, or of Arizona and Tucson, confirmed that he too had received a request from a DOE official on 24 August to remove references to climate change from his project's description. Uh, Seleska's study focuses on the effects of decomposing plant material in permafrost, and his team's abstract highlighted the implications of this project process for climate change. This is actually one of the, the biggest, like, freak out, look out, oh my God, the world is ending concerns that many climate scientists have, is that the hundreds that the, that the, the, the billions of tons of methane and thus carbon that are locked up in the permafrost in the north will escape into the atmosphere as the permafrost melts. Now, some of, most of that is in the form of methane right now. A lot of it will be digested by methogenic bacteria that will convert it into carbon dioxide, but that's still a greenhouse gas. And much of it will probably be released as pure methane, which is 20 times more potent, well, 80 times over the short term, more potent than, than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. So here's this guy. He's doing good science, fundamental research. What is this stuff? How does it work? What does it mean? What's it going to do? How much climate change can we expect as the permafrost in the north thaws? 
Because there are some people suggesting that it could account for one, two, maybe as much as three or four degrees Celsius in world temperature change. I mean, that could be the difference between, you know, a crisis and an extinction or a small crisis and a major like civilization ending crisis, even if it doesn't lead to the extinction of the human race. So this is really serious research that he's doing. And these idiots at the, at the, at the EPA, at the, at the Trump administration are saying, but you can't mention climate change or global warming, you know, because, because the Coke network and, and Exxon Mobil and all these, you know, and the and Massey Energy and all these big fossil fuel companies, they are our friends. They give us money. They give us financial support. They're running this network all across the United States to destroy unions and stuff, a story I have not yet gotten to, but I will today. So you can't say something that's going to hurt their economics. <laughs> These guys are billionaires and they're, you know, you can't do that. It's, it's bizarre. It's truly bizarre. Anyhow, we'll pick up your phone calls right after the break. Stick around. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Your thoughts on this, uh, the dog days of summer here and in the midst of them as we continue forward. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM. Void where prohibited. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, just to, fi- to, to finish up and follow up on this uh, police officer in Cobb County, Georgia, uh, his name is apparently Greg Abbott, but that's also the name of the governor of Texas. Different guy. Uh, yeah, completely different guy. But um, so anyhow, he pulls over, he pulls over this uh, white woman. He's a white cop. He pulls over a white woman. Uh, he comes up to the car. She's scared to death. She will not take her hands off the wheel. And he tells her, you know, reach down and get your wallet out and show me your driver's license. And she's like, I'm afraid if I take my hands off the wheel, you're going to shoot me. And he says something very interesting. Here it is. Use your phone. It's in your lap okay, right there. I just don't want to put my hands down. I'm really sorry. I'm just... It's just really wrong. No, no, no. I've just been wasting any videos of problems. But you're not black. Remember, we only kill black people. Yeah, we only kill black people, right? All the videos you've seen, have you seen any white people get killed? Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. We only kill black people. Just, you know, pick up your phone, you know, show me your driver's license. Don't worry. You know, you're not black. We're not going to kill you. Now, you know, the officer has been placed on administrative leave, and he's saying that he was just trying to inject some levity because she was so crazy nervous. Um... 
there have to be better ways to inject levity. This, this, this is not, not funny. This is not funny at all. And, and, uh, you know, again, it's like, it's like the height of white privilege. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Anyhow, Mariah in Marietta. Speaking of Cobb County, I used to live in Marietta. Hey, Mariah, what's up? Hello. Hi. Um, I'm a, a longtime resident of East Cobb. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I heard, you know, the first bit of what you were saying about this. And you mentioned that uh, you were going to cut him a little slack and uh, that it was likely a joke. But the problem that we progressives have is for far too long, we give people the benefit of the doubt when they say things or do things that are just horrific. Um, so to de-escalate a situation with a white woman who says that she is afraid she might get shot if she makes the wrong move, he basically says, you have no worries. Remember, we only kill black people. I'm sorry, but there was, there's nothing in that exchange that is funny. Yeah, he I agree. Be given the benefit of the and I, I withdraw my uh, cutting him slack. <laughs> Mariah. I'm sorry? I said I agree, and I withdraw my comment saying that I was cutting him slack. In fact, I had, by the time I got around to presenting the thing, I had completely re- rethought that. Um, there, there is just no space for this whatsoever. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, and there's this whole cultural problem. Um, Louise and I, when, you know, at, at night when we're just trying to go brain dead and fall asleep and not think about politics, we've been, you know, watching shows on Netflix and just, you know, some old shows. And, and okay, last couple of days, we watched a couple of episodes of Hawaii Five-0, which I haven't seen in years and years. I used to watch it when I was a little kid. But the new version, you know, the modern version. Mm-hmm. And it's like every episode I watched, the police were committing crimes. I mean, you know, the, the, the McGarrett, the head cop, he's beating the crap out of people. Uh, they're threatening people. They're, they're hurting people. They, he had one guy, he, was, he shoved his face down in, in front of a pot of boiling, you know, fry oil, uh, you know, to get him to talk. I mean, you know, beat him up inside the police department. I mean, it's just, it's insane. I mean, you know, the power that we give police and then we glorify their abusing that power. And then, and, and now, you know, they're, they're, they're having to, you know, well, he says he's making a joke. I I agree with you, Mariah. This is not a joke. Well, and if I can just say one last thing about that, Um, I too have looked at shows that I used to enjoy. Uh, I grew up, I came of age in the eighties. And, um, but Things that we used to enjoy, and I look back on these things with the, you know, from a different lens, a more mature lens. And, but this is it's cultural conditioning, whether it's on purpose or not. Oh, it absolutely is. And and you know, back back three four years ago, when when uh, Louise had breast cancer and I had prostate cancer at the same time, and we ended up in bed after both of us having surgery. Um, for about three weeks or so, and uh, we were just like binge watching old TV shows from our youth, and we we rewatched like all of the uh, Columbos and all of the Macmillan and Wife. So these are shows from the '70s, right? Cop shows from the '70s, and the police never pulled their guns out. The police never beat anybody up. The police never committed crimes. I mean, even even uh, the Macmillan, you know, he's a police commissioner and he doesn't carry a gun. No, but, you know, virtually. And when he, and when they do pull out a gun, it's a, it's a little tiny, you know, police special 38. We have 
in, in my lifetime, we have gone from, from policing as, you know, cops in communities. And I realize this is not a universal experience across the country and, and, and particularly urban uh, areas and minority communities have been policed in a different way than much of the rest of the United States. But by and large, we have gone from police being at least equipped as if they were police officers to now we are equipping them. And, and uh, Trump just turned this 1033 program back on, this program that Reagan started that, that uh, President Obama stopped, where weapons of war are given to our police departments. Just turned this back on. And so now we've got hyper-militarized police departments. And, and their behavior, they're treating us like we are, like we are not just criminals, but like we are uh, enemies in a war zone. And it's just, it's just so wrong. Mariah, thank, uh, thank you so much. It was a great call and, and spot on, spot on. Well said. Michael in Los Angeles. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Uh, hey, Tom. Uh, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about the science deniers in our climate. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, years ago, right, our scientists came out and pointed out that we was having a problem with a hole being developed in our ozone layer. Right. Nobody came out and said, oh, no, that's not true. Okay. They later on came out and, and said, this is what we need to do to fix it. Yeah, you know, you know why the difference in the response to the ozone hole, and for that matter, sulfur dioxide versus carbon dioxide? is because the only way to get out of carbon dioxide is to stop burning fossil fuels, and that's a multi-trillion dollar industry. Uh, the people making chlorinated fluorocarbons, the, the CFCs that are, are, you know, the refrigerants that we're doing the ozone hole, that's only a multi-hundred million dollar year industry. They did not have enough money to buy the entire Republican Party and create the denial. Michael, back to you. And I agree, okay? And for what I'm, the point is that the science for that was just fine, okay? Mm. And um, as a result, we changed, and what, the uh, ozone has been healing itself? Yes. Okay? Yep. So the thing is, is that, so all of a sudden, because uh, uh, the big oil industry are uh, 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 making our politicians deny all this stuff, and which is only the Republicans in the world, uh, they, um, uh, that's what they're promoting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And they're, they're doing it for one simple reason, Michael, and that is money. And, and of course, the power that, that money can provide. That's, that's what they're doing, and that's why they're doing it. Michael Well said, thank you for the call. Rick in Weston, West Virginia. Hey, Rick, what's up? Hey, Tom. A uh, uh, couple of quick points. Number one, uh, I kind of consider Texas the heart of conservatism. Do you think this... Uh, Hurricane will change some of these science deniers' ideas about the viability of climate change. I hope so. Number two. I really hope so. Uh, number two, do you think we'll hear any of these uh, mega preachers come out and say that they are being punished for uh, their sinful ways, you know, money above everything? Right. Number three, can you imagine the consequences of something like Harvey? Something like BP oil spill, something like San, uh, like the uh, storm up on the East Coast last year, and uh, maybe an earthquake out on the West Coast, and uh, for good measure, a terrorist attack somewhere. We couldn't, I don't think we could deal with it. Thank yeah. you, and I'll listen to your commentary on TV. Okay, thank you, Rick. 
No, I uh, these these people are shameless. There's the you know they're they're not. Yeah, I, I don't see any you know major come to Jesus moment here. Whether it's the megachurch preachers who are themselves shameless. In fact, one of the most famous of them, he just opened his church in in Texas, I guess. But you know, you can't come in until you've until all the shelters are filled because we don't want to. You know, we got a spotless carpet here, and we got spotless pews, and it's everything's very beautiful. This guy's worth tens of millions of dollars, lives in a big mansion. You know, he's, he's preaching the prosperity gospel, you know, like when Jesus said, hey, blessed are the rich for they shall get richer. Oh, he didn't say that? Oh, well, anyway. Uh, so, no, I, 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 I'm not a wild-eyed optimist here on this regard. Casey in Madison, Georgia. Hey, Casey, what's up? Hey, Mr. Hartman, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, I, uh, I live about 70 miles, 65, 70 miles outside of Atlanta, that's toward Atlanta. I go to school every day. And I just heard about it this morning. I listen to Urban View every day. And I just heard about it this morning about what this police said up in uh, Cobb County. Right. And, and I was so shocked about, I'm a pastor too. I'm a retired military. I pastor a church in Greensboro, Georgia. And um, I was so shocked. And, and But let me interject this. I was I got out of my truck and I got back in and I was listening when you saying that you cut in some slack and then you rethought that thing. Yeah. About cutting in some slack. Yeah. Now, doesn't that work? I'm sorry, you're, Casey, you're breaking up. I couldn't, I can't hear what you're saying. I'm sorry. No, it's, go, it's coming and going. This is, you know, in this new age of, of cell phones, it's like you walk into the wrong room or something while you're on the phone. Casey, yeah. try it one more time and then I'm going to hit a break. Okay, like you said, you was cutting him some slack. Just like he said, he didn't mean it. Um, yeah. that, that goes both ways. Um, he said he didn't mean it, and then you said, well, I rethought the thing, and I, and I didn't mean to say I was going to slap. Right. But, uh, it, to me, that, oh, this is a cover-up. I mean, Donald Trump just signed his order to put all these weapons in. Yeah, Casey, I'm sorry. You're breaking up so bad, I can't tell what you're saying. Um, you're going to have to try a different phone at a different time. Anyhow, we'll be back with more of your calls, your thoughts on the news of the day, my thoughts on the news of the day, and actually I've got some more news of the day to share with you, too. Strange goings on in Seattle. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls right after. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Um, my same old, same old. Jeff, I can't, I can't hear you. you. You need to take your phone off speaker. All right, Tom. Um, I just want to talk about public banking. Mm-hmm. On Oakland is going to have a, a form on this. Actually, it's part of the uh, it's September 19th. It's the board uh, meeting. And that there's currently seven states going for public banking, Michigan, several others. And I just want to think that that's one of the biggest problems in the country is the power of Wall Street, yep. the discrepancy in the rich and the poor. And that's what's been going on for so long and how we could solve this problem yep. or mediate it quite a bit with public banking. I agree. What's your thoughts on this? I agree. I'm a big fan of this. I, I first learned about this years ago by reading Ellen Brown's uh, book, Web of Debt, or maybe it was on her website, um, about how yeah. North Dakota did this back in 1919 or something like that. And, uh, you know, to provide North Dakotan farmers who could not get credit from the Wall Street banks money so that they could grow their crops and things. 
and it has expanded over the years to the point where you know they're the bank in North Dakota is handling all the all the government receipts and things and and as a result they're saving a fortune in bank fees and interest payments that would have gone to New York City and instead they're uh, those fees, I mean, the bank is still charging the fees and charging interest, but that becomes profit for the state that the state can use to reduce other things like taxes or, or that can use for, for positive things, you know, building roads and whatnot. And I think every state so should I, do this. I think California should do it tomorrow morning. Oh, yes, yes. AB 750 could have been passed in 2011, and we'd have so much money right now. It's unbelievable. So I really push for this in California. And yeah. uh, I suggest all your readers... To our listeners to read Ellen Brown's books. Yeah, so. I agree. Ellen Brown is an absolute genius on this stuff, and it is such a straightforward process. And and you know the the other the other part of that is Bernie's suggestion that post offices um, be able to do basically what uh, the check cashing places do. You know that uh, post offices be available as functionally banks for people who earn so little that they can't afford to have a bank account. And I think that's a great idea too. Uh, Jeff, got to move along, but thank you for the call. Mac in Park City, Utah. Hey, Mac, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, one second. Let me take you off speakerphone. There you go. Can you hear me? Yep, just fine. Hi, well, um, so I was an atheist until I experienced psychedelics for the first time, coincidentally, at Michigan State University, mm -hmm. your alma mater. And uh, sort of. I remember a phone call you had uh, a couple years ago where somebody talked about that and um, in your own experience with psychedelics and your father and, and atheism. Yeah. And uh, with legalization coming in California potentially for mushrooms. Um, really? I wondered if you could kind of, well, that's what I've seen as a treatment for PTSD and yeah. depression. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they established that back in the 50s and, and, and then in the early 60s. That, that was the research Tim Leary was doing. I mean, it, uh, you know, psilocybin is, is uh, very, very effective for those things. Also for end of life, for the anxiety associated with dying. Absolutely. Well, and, and for me, it, it was like this overwhelming feeling of everything is connected. And, yes. you know, this realization that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, that was and, my Do you know why they were experience. made illegal? Pardon? Do you know why they were made illegal? Is it the Nixon crackdown? Or? I, I believe that psychedelics were made illegal because when people experience psychedelics, they get it that this system, this culture, this society, this capitalism, this all the all this stuff is not necessarily the only way that there is. It's not the only thing that there is. Um, uh, uh, people who experience psychedelics are more likely to to uh, not be your just average everyday conformists. Exactly. And in my experience. And, I, and I, so I, I think that they thought that psychedelics would be disruptive to the power structures. But, you know, that's just my speculation, and it might be a little paranoid. I don't know. I, I feel like you're right. I mean, that's sort of what it seems like to me. Yeah. yeah. It, so that's, you know, I, I remember in D.A.R.E., you know, learning that, you know, that they killed people, but I, I don't know any evidence that supports that. What, that <laughs> people who are high kill people? Well, no, the, the people who are on LSD or on psilocybin, um, you know, they, they can die from overdosing on those chemicals, much like with heroin or cocaine. No, you can't. There's never been an overdose, uh, you know, a, a fatal overdose of LSD, to the best of my knowledge. Or maybe, maybe psilocybin. I mean, there might be something else in the mushrooms that makes you sick. I took peyote once and threw up half the night. Um, there's clearly a toxin in there, but, you know, you, you just eat enough to get to get the buzz. And, and then same thing with ayahuasca. You 
puke after you drink the ayahuasca. So there is something toxic in there, but if you control the dose, it's got to be okay. Um, so anyhow, uh, Mac, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Rob in Mountain Iron, or uh, Minnesota. Hey, Rob, what's up? How much is we're uh, looking at you on TV and uh, listening to you on the radio for many years. It's where, uh, you know, it's really crazy. Uh, before I get to my point, it's where uh, you are so conservative, almost like me, compared to the, those other people out there that uh, proclaim their conservatism, uh, driving around in Escalades and uh, living in multi-million dollar homes. And the whole thing is, is where they are better than we are. But anyway, uh, the one thing I wanted to be able to get to was, uh, um, you know, all of a sudden it's where we have all of these floods, um, New Orleans, uh, Houston, um, all of the coastlines and stuff like this. You used to live on a boat, or no, you live on a boat. Mm -hmm. uh, you used to live on a home boat. And mm -hmm. the whole thing is, is where um, if they rebuild all of these cities, uh, on uh, floating homes, wouldn't it be a great idea so they wouldn't have to rebuild them anymore? <laughs> there, you know, there are certain problems living on the water. It's a fairly high maintenance thing, uh, and and in fact, we had a fellow uh, die in our marina the day before yesterday. It's just, you know, it's it's it also can be dangerous. Rob, uh, you know, thanks for the call. No, I don't think houseboats are the solution. I think the solution is for us to get the carbon out of our atmosphere. We need to decarbonize our atmosphere and we need to stop pumping carbon into it now. Look at that. John Nichols. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team. And boy, the games just get better and better. Every, over two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com. Click the Join Now button and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes. When you make your first deposit on FanDuel, just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM, void where prohibited. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and very happy to have in the studio John Nichols, one of the smartest guys in the country, the writer for The Nation magazine, author of the new book, uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse, no. a field guy. Trumpocalypse. Trumpocalypse. You're right. <laughs> Horseman of the Trumpocalypse, the field guide to the most dangerous people in America. John, welcome welcome back to the program. It is a total honor to be with you. And Tom, you're an author of a, a pile of great books. And so you will know that one of the weird parts is that only when you go on tour do you find the the complexities of your books. Mm -hmm. And I found the word Trumpocalypse people struggle with. Yeah. Well, I think, I, you know, we we tend to read words based on word shape. Absolutely. And this is in all caps. Mm -hmm. and, and studies of readership have shown that when you present people with text in all caps, yep. there's there's the speed with which they read drops anywhere from 20 to 50 percent, which is why on contracts, 
the language that they don't want you to read. Really bad stuff is, is in caps. In all caps, yeah. And they're saying, we're being super transparent. We're doing this. I, I learned this back when I was teaching advertising really and marketing. Yeah, in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, I, yeah. I learned this from a guy who worked for the for the banking industry, did advertising and stuff. And he's like, yeah, they, they, they say, oh, well, you know, we need to find the most offensive stuff in this contract, the most dangerous stuff, mm -hmm. and put it in all caps. And they ask the regulators to ask them. But anyway, I'm... I'm you're, you're not off track but at all. this is all caps here, so it's yeah. hard to read. Well, don't, don't worry. I have been, you know, I've done a few, quite a few interviews and quite an, and, and last night we were at Politics and Prose, which is the wonderful independent bookstore here in Washington. And we had, it was just a wonderful event. Uh, but the guy who was introducing me, he was a great guy, um, said before, I'm going to get Trumpocalypse right. I'm going to get it right. And then he got up there and it was like a, a melange. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I realized that we're going to have to teach the people the word Trumpocalypse. Right. This That's is, okay. This I like is, I like a little teaching moment. There you go. A new a new word for us all. Trumpocalypse. So in this book, you you have a, you know basically each chapter is devoted to a person. Whether it's you start out with the Mercers, Robert and Rebecca, Steve Bannon, Kellyanne Conway, Steve Miller, uh, and then you get through Mattis, and and I you, know, you got a thing on Tillerson in here, Neil Gorsuch, Mike Pence. I mean, it's just. I don't know how many chapters you have, but it looks like there's 42, 40 yeah, yeah, 40 yeah, chapters, yeah. so 40 different people. I'm wondering, I mean, we all we all know the stories about, you know, how corrupt Ryan Zinke is or, mm -hmm. or how bizarre uh, Price was, you know. Your listeners know that. Yeah. To be tr truthful with you, you'd be stunned by the number of American smart, engaged people that are not aware of how bad some of these people are. Oh, I know. It's because yeah. our, our media absolutely sucks. It, it, it basically, it, 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 they ask, you know, what are the five stories that are going to get the most eyeballs? What are the most salacious stories? And they refuse to cover politics as anything other than either sports, who's up, who's down, mm -hmm. or soap opera, mm -hmm. who's hurt feelings, who's angry. Mm -hmm. And there's no discussion of the actual issues. What will the impact be? And what I say at events, legislation? when I talk about this book, is I say, you know, look, I understand I've done TV, you've done TV, we've all, you know, been a part of all this, but um, this is a really serious moment. And so I wrote a book about politics. And I know that's a rare thing, but this is actually about the reality of politics and governance in our country. And it goes way beyond Don, Donald Trump's personality. A year ago, more than a year ago, uh, in February of 2016, I wrote a cover story for The Nation that said, President Trump, it's possible. Like you, early on, I recognized the economic issues and, and many of the other issues that were in play that were not well discussed by our media. That didn't mean I knew Trump was going to be president, but I understood that this dynamic was in play. And so at that time, I started looking at the people around him. I started trying to understand, you know, who he would empower if he came to power because I knew he was incapable of governing, just as he was incapable of running a business. Right. And so I became very, very interested in those who were in his circle and in his outer circle. What became very clear to me is he didn't know anybody who was gonna be good at what they did. He was going to do like on The Apprentice. Folks would come in and audition for them, and if they were the loudest yeller, the flashiest character, he'd give them a position. And so what ended up is rabid, ideologues, people who literally are bleary-eyed ideologues, got put in charge of, of agencies, uh, not in any kind of traditional conservative or Republican tradition. Oh, he's got a right-wing radio host that he wants to make the head scientist for the U.S. This Department of Agriculture. I'm telling you, yes. Well, and the guy who's in charge of agriculture, Sonny Perdue, yeah. is corporate agribusiness right, right. at the most extreme. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a different, right. yeah, but at the oh, most right. extreme. And then, but then you, you look at putting Betsy DeVos in charge of education. If you really were a right winger, if you're really conservative, you don't like public education, you could find hundreds of people 
who have served on school boards, served as superintendents of public instruction, have been education professors, have had any credible experience to put in that position. The one person who has only ever been listened to on education because she's rich and because she throws a lot of money around is Betsy DeVos. She at her, I opened the book with her hearing. I don't know. I know you cover, you follow things closely and your listeners too, but I want to remind people of that hearing. She went before that committee and um, the Senator from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, asked her some good, smart questions about programs for kids with disabilities and a host of other aspects of federal law. Really important stuff. Betsy DeVos didn't know. She literally she didn't know what Title Ten was. She didn't know. She didn't know what was federal, what was state. She was completely unprepared. And then Bernie Sanders nailed her. I mean, and he didn't do it to be mean. It was just a. It was one of the most powerful moments. It's the kind of thing that actually, once upon a time, they made movies about moments like this. She was sitting before the committee, and he said, "Yeah, I just want to say I don't want to be mean to you or anything like this, but." Do you think you'd be sitting here if your family hadn't given $200 million to Republican candidates, including people who are here today? And instead of saying, of course I'd be here. I've devoted my life to education. I've served on school boards. I've been a superintendent of instruction. I've taught education. She'd done none of those things. She said, well, I think probably, right? She didn't even say, yes, of course I would be, because she herself knows. Sure. It was an absurd choice. They know this. So- the question that I was leading up yeah, to of here, you in, in pointing out that you've got 40 chapters, 40 different individuals, more or less, that you're, you're profiling, what surprised you? Oh, what that's did, What did you learn? Who, who did you come across where you said, holy crap, I can't believe this? There was a ton of it. Um, much more, you know, I, we all talk about Scott Pruitt over at EPA, and you've covered him very, very well. And so I won't go into it, but I do have to tell you. Feel free to go into it. Well, I mean, just the lawlessness of the guy. Yeah. I mean- and, and one of the things that as I, I was writing the book, I began working on the book last year, but I was finishing the book as these confirmation hearings were going on and as the Senate was voting. And I followed closely what I thought would, would, would disqualify Pruitt, which was a lawsuit in Oklahoma to get the records of his office as attorney general, which would show that he had, had been, you know, essentially in the pocket of the fossil fuel companies and, and literally running you know, what looked an awful lot like a political operation out of his AG's office, a climate denial operation, the whole bit. Well, on, on the, a couple of days before the Senate vote was to come, a judge ordered the release of the documents. But it, the Pruitt's office said, well, it's going to take a few days to get all this together. We know we have to follow the law now. We've fought this for years, but we have to follow the law. Mitch McConnell took this thing to the floor of the Senate in the period between when the judge ruled and when the documents were released. Of course he did. This is stunning, man. You know, like if Mr. Smith goes to Washington or something like that, you'd have oh, a moment is, like that, that. that. That's, I mean, Mitch McConnell doing that is weak compared to what he did with, with Gorsuch. Or Sessions. Or Sessions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Gorsuch hearing is another thing I write about a lot in the book. Uh, Gorsuch is a, you know, a career politico, a guy raised and deeply steeped in conservative politics, conservative activism. And he sat before that committee and pretended like, oh, yeah, I think when I was a, t- a kid, maybe in preschool, I might have gone out with my mom to knock on doors or something like that. This is, this was a absurdly dishonest performance. And, um, that I, some Democrats really pressed him. They're heroes in the book. Uh, Kristen Gillibrand comes out as a hero because she stood up for civilian control of the military. Al Franken comes out a hero because he prepared for hearings and knew how to ask questions. Uh, a number of other people, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, but too many Democrats, you know, 
heard things that, that should have sent every alarm bell off and they should have just said, we can't do this. And so I write a lot about that, but I will tell you, I got to be honest, the thing that, uh, is chapter 35, Mm -hmm. um, Mars incorporated, uh, Mars, the candy company. No, the planet. Okay. Uh, Newt Gingrich and Robert Walker, Trump's space advisors. He, Trump has, oh yeah. Trump has space advisors, right? And in fact, he has been appointing people to key positions as regards space. And I've talked to folks at NASA. I've talked to, you know, I, this book is steeped in talking to down into the trenches people at the State Department and all sorts of other places. Um, Donald Trump has people around him who are, and in fact, he is empowering, who are enthusiastic uh, backers of privatizing outer space. Right. Privatizing the moon, privatizing Mars, so that well, they want to can... privatize everything here, too. No, so but this, this, is, this is not this... inconsistent. Well, this takes us a step further. And so I go back through all of Trump's speeches about this. Look at the people that he has brought into his inner circle, sometimes appointed to positions, sometimes put in advisory roles. Remember, I look at in this book, I look inside his appointed uh, folks, but also on the edges, the money people. And this is what I want to emphasize. They're passionate about the use of planets in space for mineral extraction, for development in other places, the same way they would, uh, you know, the waterfront in Texas or, or in the Carolinas. Not everybody, but there are people playing in there. Trump himself has expressed interest in this. And here's where it gets really significant. This is the big deal. To do that, they've got to throw out our space treaties. And you hear Donald Trump talking about getting out of Paris. The, mo- the most successful stuff, we did in the 60s and 70s, like, un- unimaginable when you really think back on it, with the Russians, with the Chinese, with all sorts of other folks. We worked out treaties that said, yeah, we're, we're landing on planets now. We're going into space. Let's make an agreement that some things we will not do. No country can claim a planet. No country can uh, develop a planet for commercial purposes. You can't use it for military purposes. Right. If we got those treaties at this point, in our history and really promote a privatization of how we go to that next stage of exploring space, we create dangers for humanity that are the stuff of H.G. Wells. It's amazing stuff. John Nichols, the book is Horseman of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. And uh, some guy wrote, uh-huh. The, the great threat posed by Donald Trump's presidency does not begin or end with him. Trump's appointees have the power to privatize, to deregulate, and rip apart the American dream. They're already attacking our liberties, our social safety net, and our planet. With his deeply reported and profoundly honest book, John Nichols exposes them all. This is an essential book. Tom Hartman. My friend Tom yeah. Hartman. I, I, it's That's... probably unfair to have somebody I like as much as you blurb it, but, <laughs> but I do know. respect you in that regard. John, thank you so much. Really honored to be with you. Good luck with the book. Horseman of the Trumpocalypse. Check it out. Welcome back. Okay. Charlena Lyles is this pregnant woman who was shot by the Seattle police in her apartment in front of her children a short while ago. And the report just came out, Sam Levin in San Francisco writing for The Guardian. Charlena Lee's 
uh, Lyles, excuse me, a pregnant mother killed by Seattle police in her apartment in front of her children was shot seven times, including twice in the back, according to an autopsy released on Wednesday. The medical examiner's report on Lyles, 30, who was killed after she called 9-11 to report a burglary, classified the death as a homicide and noted, noted that the bullets cut through her uterus and hit her fetus, estimated to be 14 to 15 weeks old. Where are the uh, so-called right-to-life people? Lyle's death spoke, sparked national outrage and reignited debate about law enforcement's disproportionate killing of African-Americans. She was black. Two police officers have claimed that she was holding a knife. Right. She, weighed, she was five foot, three inches tall and weighed 100 pounds. They shot her twice in the stomach, twice in the back, once in the chest, once in the arm, once in the hip. Katrina Johnson, her cousin, said, did they shoot her as she fell to the ground? Was she running away? How'd she get shot in the back? I still don't know that and understand that. But in any way, it was excessive force. Seven times, seven shots for her little pregnant 100-pound self was out of control. And I absolutely agree with this. The officers, officers had arrived at Lyle's apartment door less than an hour after she dialed 911 to report a burglary when she discovered that her Xbox was missing. After roughly two minutes and 30 seconds, keep in mind, she called 911. After two minutes and 30 seconds, police fired at her from about five feet away as her one-year-old and four-year-old children crawled nearby, police records revealed. Her 11-year-old son was in another room during the shooting. Incredible. Just incredible. We, we need to fundamentally change our police culture and the rules of engagement, the rules under which police operate. And we need to start de-escalating, de, you know, reducing, reducing the potential for violence in our police department. And, you know, and, and Trump, of course, has taken us in the exact opposite direction by reinstating the 1033 program where the military gives weapons of war to our police department so that they can act like, you know, an occupying army. Anyhow, it's 27 minutes past the hour, coming up on 28 minutes past the hour. It's the Tom Hartman program. It's anything goes summer, whatever you'd like to talk about, although we've got a lot on the table. And now, next up, they're going to try and destroy unions. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202-808-9925. Yes, I will be telling you about this as we continue through the program. A new effort in every state in the union to destroy government employees. Welcome back. On the line with us, Anthony Torres, the climate organizer and activist and spokesperson with the Sunrise Movement. The website sunrisemovement.org. You can tweet Anthony at AVTorres, T-O-R-R-E-S, number four, or at Sunrise MVMT, as in movement. Anthony, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us. So tell us about the Sunrise Movement. Yeah, so the Sunrise Movement is organizing an army of young people to take on the culprits of our climate crisis, the fossil fuel CEOs who have profited off of a uh, climate disaster and who are blocking our path to the action and the just society we need. I would argue that the blood of at least some of the people who have died in Houston is on the hands of some of these fossil fuel CEOs who have intentionally 
had their companies lie to us in the press and buy off politicians and intimidate media organizations to deny climate change. And at the top of that list, uh, I would put Rex Tillerson and uh, the guy, Lee Raymond, the guy who preceded him, the one who mm -hmm. uh, uh, looks curiously like Mike Myers' old uh, fat bastard character from the movies. Um, uh, am I, in, in your opinion, am I being hyperbolic here, Anthony? So Rex Tillerson made his millions as ExxonMobil CEO, and he secured his position as Secretary of State by poisoning the air and water of Houston residents long before the storm and pitting us against each other with this claim that for one community, community to thrive, another must suffer. And so, you know, we're seeing in this storm, uh, I'm not sure if you've been down to Houston, but you know, Exxon has a huge facility out on the East End that has been, um, you know, fuming the air and water for fence line communities for years. And now some of these various facilities, including one this morning, a chemical factory, um, has spewed even more pollution into an already devastated community. And so this disaster by Harvey is not natural. It's a man-made uh, climate disaster perpetrated by fossil fuel CEOs like Tillerson and shouldered on black, brown, immigrant, disabled, indigenous, and poor Americans. I understand that you guys uh, were talking with Anthony Torres. He's a spokesperson with the Sunrise Movement. Sunrisemovement.org is the website. That you all are going to be holding a vigil at Rex Tillerson's home here in Washington, D.C. Do I have that right? Yep, absolutely. Tell so us about it. at 7 p.m., we're going to be going into the heart of the California neighborhood of D.C., where Rex Tillerson has his D.C. residence. And at 7 p.m., we're going to hold a vigil of mourning and reckoning, where we're going to mourn our sisters and brothers in Texas, but also in Bangladesh, Mumbai, Sierra Leone, those who have been drowning in their homes from climate disasters. Yeah, over a thousand people in the in the in the uh, in South Asia now have died from these. You know, they're they're having monsoons, but they're far worse than normal because, again, they're being fueled by climate change too. Forgive my interrupting. No, absolutely. That's and so you know we're holding this uh, despair and outrage that uh, we have um, to leverage resources at this vigil for a family on the front line. And we believe it's our duty to condemn those responsible for these human catastrophes, the oil barons and politicians who profit um, off these disasters. And so we're going to be raising money for local organizations such as Tejas, Latina Trans Texas, South Texas Human Rights Center, uh, the Hurricane Harvey Community Relief Fund, National Black United Front uh, the, of Greater Houston. And so... Movement leaders, as well as D.C. residents, are going to be coming together uh, tonight to shine a light on those responsible and provide support to our family. So the, uh, is it pronounced Calamara neighborhood? Uh, Calarama neighborhood. Calarama, we'll, thank you. Um, yeah, we'll this is, this is like the, the, the swankiest, fanciest, most expensive part of Washington, D.C. It's where the Obamas bought a house. It's where uh, Jared and Ivanka Kushner yeah. are, are living. Um, it's uh, so uh, are, are, do they have like, you know, gated communities and things? Do they have some way of keeping you out or can you actually stand on the street with a sign out in front of Rex Tillerson's house? Yeah, I've uh, been a visitor to that neighborhood uh, and brought uh, protests to the, you know, that affluent site of D.C. before. And uh, we're planning on convening in a park 
that's uh, the closest park to uh, the DuPont Center, DuPont Circle Metro Station, mm-hmm. and we'll be uh, marching through the streets and holding space um, in front of his residence. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they this is definitely one of the most exclusive neighborhoods of D.C. You're right. Ivanka Trump and others are uh, claimed to be home. And uh, we're going to be, you know, speaking truth to power um, right in their front door. Yeah. Good on you. Uh, Anthony Torres is a climate organizer, activist and spokesperson with the Sunrise Movement. If you want more details, you can go to sunrisemovement.org. You can tweet him at A.V. Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S, number four, or at Sunrise MVMT, as in movement. And uh, this is this is great. Young people taking taking the message to the uh, perps, as it were. Anthony, I wish you the very best. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for being with us today. And, uh, keep us up to date. Give us give us a shout. Let us know how it goes. We'll be back in just a minute. It is uh, coming up on 28 minutes past. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.